Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. With us today is Nancy Duarte. She has written most recently the book, Data Story, Explain Data and Inspire Action Through Story. Uh, Nancy runs her own firm, Duarte Inc. She's created some of the most important presentations uh, in the world since 1988. She's a preeminent storyteller in Silicon Valley. Uh, She, while I was writing the article that said, stop using PowerPoint because it's getting in the way of your meetings, she was writing the articles that said, here's how you should use PowerPoint so that it would be useful in your meetings. So it's, you know, we actually both saw the same problem and and sort of approached it differently. And I think she's done a really, really beautiful job and, and been very effective. At, uh, at changing the story about how you tell a story. So I'm very happy to have her on the podcast. Nancy, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, um, you know, you've written books about uh, presentations before. You've, you've done a lot of prominent presentations for people. I'm going to try to get you to do one of my presentations at some point. And, <laughs> and I'm curious, like, why you're involved in any of this. Like, what what... What led you to get involved in presentations and making them more interesting? That's funny. One of my employees says that presentations found me. I didn't find them, and I feel kind of the same way. So I, I actually got a C- minus in speech communications in college and a D in English, and now I write books in English about speech communication. So the irony is crazy. We um, started in 31 years ago, and, and back then, I don't know if, well, you're too young to know this, but people used to make bar charts and line charts out of electrical tape tape and an exacto knife and rub on letters, right? And it was really complicated. And so my husband had bought a little Mac, probably the only ones, super poor, saved every penny, bought this little Mac, we had this tiny dumpy apartment. And we were probably the only ones in a two mile radius that had one. And we just, I hit the phones and started to call local companies. We won a few big accounts, one of which was Apple. So we've had them as a client for 31 years. But what people don't realize is Apple was the first company to hook up a computer to a projector. It, before then we used 35 millimeter slides. And so best thing that happened to my business was in about 92, 93, Apple had a big layoff. So all my customers kind of scattered like beautiful seeds across the Silicon Valley, took us with them. And then actually kind of the market niched us as a presentation company because we were actually a a generalist design firm at the time. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, there's so much I like about that story, but it's like, I I was asked recently uh, by someone who's interviewing me about the like, you know, strategy of my career, (laughs) like my (laughs) career has been deeply unstrategic and highly opportunistic. And, yeah. and it's like, that's it. Like you do this and yeah. this happens and, and, you know, yeah. you, you do excellent work and you're in the right place and the right yeah. things happen. So, so both of them yeah. are really great. So um, I, uh, I have a real, like, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the book in a second, but I have this real love hate relationship with presentations because I think as when I don't have a presentation up, when I have no PowerPoint or, or keynote, I use keynote, but when I have no pictures behind me, I'm in a very intimate conversation with an audience, no matter what the size of the audience. Like I could have you talking to 5,000 people and I'm having this intimate conversation because there's nothing between us and there's nothing distracting us. I'm talking to them. And as soon as I have something up there, and a lot of people misuse it anyway, but as Mm -hmm. soon as I have it up there, 
now I've lost the intimacy of that relationship is Mm -hmm. my experience. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. And like, am I doing something wrong or what's, or how do we maintain the intimacy when we've, when we've shifted the, the gaze, uh, and what your thoughts are. If I were to prioritize the things that are the most important in a presentation in order, it would be content and then how you deliver the content and then the slides. Like if, cause if you, if your slides went out, the power went out, you had nothing, you wouldn't know your material. And a lot of people use slides as their teleprompter. And I don't think that's a bad thing. So if you look at Sheryl Sandberg, she did a TEDx women talk and it's really powerful. She has no slides, but when the camera pans around, you can see that the the comfort monitor on the ground actually has a PowerPoint file with just bullets. So she, they probably turned her slides off, might be what she showed up with to present from, but you can see that she was using it properly in a way she had it as a teleprompter. It's her index cards. Yeah, it's her index cards. But there was nothing projected behind her. And one of the favorite talks we did was from a, a, a guy who is a star of a, um, a reality show. Mm-hmm. And what people didn't know was that he had he helps on a show with people with addiction problems, but people didn't know he had had an addiction problem himself. And so he wanted us to help him with his talk. So we helped him write the talk, but it felt completely wrong, to your point, to have slides at all. So instead, what we did is we designed the lighting to be almost like 24 hours in a day. So it started with with morning light got really really dark and then it became morning light again and it was all done with lighting no oh my slides, god nothing. i love that i know because it like That's in the darkest awesome. moment the whole audience was in darkness too yeah. and it was really powerful so i'm not i'm not like use use keynote and use powerpoint because it's awesome it's like use it because it can help you or don't use it at all so right. I, I think people need to see what you're saying. I think if you have an important model, I think if you're showing how things are related to each other or you have a powerful picture and a motive anecdote, I think it works if you have a chart. I mean, it works in, in a lot of circumstances and sometimes it just doesn't. Um, what do you think about turning on and off the presentation or is that too jarring for an audience? Like I'm going to, I have something I want you guys to see. I'm going to turn it on. We're going to talk about this for a second. I'm going to turn it off. Now I'm going to have a conversation with you and we're not necessarily going to keep it up the whole time. Yeah. I could see where that could be distracting. Oh, there's a key, actually a little known key, at least in PowerPoint and Keynote, where if you're in slideshow mode, you can hit the B key and your screen goes black or you can hit the W key and your screen goes white. The whole thing just goes away. You don't even have to take it out of slideshow mode or anything. So you just hit a key and it goes away and I think it's fine. I think you can use it. It actually would be probably the moment that they'll always remember. We call that a star moment. It's something Mm -hmm. they'll always remember. Remember that moment turn the slides off and talk to us from his heart. Like yeah. that's, you could actually use it to your advantage, I think. Right. So you're, you're a huge proponent of telling story, which, which mm-hmm. I, I am a strong proponent of also. And data story is about telling stories with data. And so I'm wondering if you just like for a minute, just catch everybody up on like what your intent is with this book and what you're hoping for it. Yeah, we have a lot of data. Every role today is impacted with data. And none of the data is going to be useful to any of us if we can't communicate it. So when people are cruising through the data, one of two things happens. They found a problem or they identified an opportunity. So you cruise through the data. Once you have a problem or an opportunity, now you have a communication challenge because you have to communicate that challenge or opportunity to other people. And there hasn't really been a, a book written about language and what language do you wrap around data and how do you structure it so you can turn that data into an action. And, and that was why I wrote the book. I love it. So I, I tried to get um, a friend of mine who was my COO. I'll t- say her first name, Emily, but she was my COO for many years. And, and now she's in a very data-driven role in another organization. 
that focus on revenue. And so I called her before this conversation and I said, hey, be a call-in. Like we're going to call you in and you could talk about your challenges around data and the kinds of stories you're trying to tell. And her answer is, thank you so much. That's such a kind invitation. Absolutely not. And and I, I think, by the way, that's also like, that's also a little bit the, you know, people who love data are not always necessarily the same people who love to like be out in on, on screen and, and in front of the room. And as I was having a conversation with her, I said, and, and I want to ask you the same question that I talked with her as we were talking about story about data is there's this, and she asked this question, which was a really great question. There's a way in which you could look at, you, you have a story to tell and then you start from the story and then you go to the data to figure out how to use the data to tell the story. Mm. Or you could just look at the data and say, what is the story this data is telling? Same. Mm-hmm. And I think the first one is, can, can, is, is the way a lot of us approach it and can also be very, very dangerous, right? Because mm-hmm. you could torture mm-hmm. numbers and they'll confess to anything. And mm-hmm. so... If we start with the story we want to tell and then just find the data, that becomes a little bit of a less trustworthy story, in my view, because you're right. not just approaching the data. So I'm wondering how you think about it and, and how you teach yeah. it. We, I grappled with that because there's a moment before you approach the data that you need guideposts. Um, um, you're kind of hinting at is confirmation bias. Like, mm-hmm. do I have a hunch and I'm just going to the data to confirm something or am I going to the data in, in, in its most pure sense to really see what the data is saying? There is a moment of communication before a leader asks their data scientist to go into the data. And so there's another little short body of work we're going to do around that, around really what it is. Is, a, is there a business problem you're trying to solve. And one of the things I say in the book, make very clear, is once you've come up with a problem or opportunity in the data, you need to be your own skeptic. You need to try to prove it wrong. So the book isn't necessarily in service of stand up on a stage and deliver data, though the fourth section of the whole book is about stand and deliver. The the bulk of the book is about you found something. Oh my gosh, you found something in the data and you're desperate to communicate it because the organization is going to be impacted. And how do you frame it in a story that creates a great recommendation? So it's supposed to speed up decision making because I found this thing. I need to communicate it up because it's very important and we need to be rapid at communicating it. I don't I, I, I think dashboards in a way are confirmation bias. I mean, we're looking at them all day long. We're measuring KPIs. It's constantly updating. We're like, oh, I'm confirming I'm doing well today. Oh, I'm confirming sales are up. Oh, I'm confirming sales are down. It's a low grade confirmation bias. Right. But this, I'm talking about people who live in the data, who have a finding of an opportunity or a problem that they've found. And so we kind of left that on the table with the assumption that I stated in the book. It's like, we're assuming you did your job and you're not you're not dinking around with data and you're you're using data as fact right. just cuz just cuz we knew that would be a point of contention for people yeah. you know you bring up such an interesting point which is which i hadn't really thought of i'm i'm i i'm a little suspect of goals in general uh, for a number of different reasons and i was just on on in a podcast with mark efron who really oh, who, yeah. who's like <laughs> goals like it is all about big goals all day. and and i and i i'm a little suspect of them and and I realized like that what you just said is and, and I, I take his point also that it's really good to know what you're focusing on with. And what you said is so interesting because it's like there's an insularity 
to the process mm-hmm. when you're engaged in a goal because you've set this goal and now you're looking at the data about it. Now you're focused on it. Mm-hmm. And now you're very, in some ways, even if it's an externally focused goal, you're internally focused on your externally focused goal. And so you don't see the things that are outside. You're it's looking- like the movie Inception or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're like looking for red cars. So you don't see the orange cars and the yellow cars, yeah. but you're counting all the red cars. And- and I guess, but you know, to bring it back to presentation, when you're presenting, you're you're um, managing to what the audience's need is, and you're also directing the attention to the audience's needs. So you're saying cars, and you're putting cars up there, and you're showing them cars, which is how you keep the presentation coherent. And also, you know, there's this danger, and I'm wondering, like, I I, just, I think it's so interesting that you brought it up, and I'm just sort of curious of your perspective on it. Yeah, I mean, it just like to lead a business, we have to have indicators, right? Um, but I think what's what's happening is when we find these indicators, let's say it is cars, let's say it's all red cars, but 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 the audience cares about orange Cadillacs. Like that to me was a, a, a problem in the analysis of the data. Like if you're doing the synthesis and the analysis of it and it's in the best way, you are considering a bigger idea. You're considering the whole landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when 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 you when we say that you need to have empathy for the audience and you should only really communicate what they need to hear and how they need to hear it so how you shape the data the words you wrap around the data the speed in which you unveil the data mm-hmm. all those things are an act of empathy right. the assumption going into that presentation i'm not i'm not the morality police around data i'm really the one that's trying to say if you have a very important communication idea to communicate through the data here's how to shape it and here's how to communicate it but there is a lot of moral dilemma in data. I can't even tell you how often this comes up. Like every interview, it's a—it's almost as if people are, it's almost like data is starting to get reframed as a bad thing and not a good thing because people are so freaked out that the right data is the right data that's right. being pulled in. And I'm actually starting with that as an assumption that right. you've found the right data, you've used the right data, you've not entered it with bias. It's yeah, I think it's, I, I, I think, I think you're right. And I, I am, um, I think part of why, cause I'm a little bit of skeptical of data, although I think data is really important also, but I'm skeptical because I, I read so many books and I talk to so many people yeah. and everybody comes with the science backing up and the data backing up their perspective. And there's totally opposing perspectives. Yeah, and it's like, you know, the, we're telling different stories with different pieces of data, or sometimes the same data, but you realize, uh, I can't remember what writer, it might've been Kurt Vonnegut in one of his books, but there was a writer who, who one of the characters said, how do you know, it, it was talking to an expressionist painter and, and one of the characters asked the painter, how do you know, like, uh, you know, you look at these paintings, it just looks like finger painting. Like, how do I know that that painting is good and that painting is not? And, yeah. and the answer was, look at a million paintings. The next one, you'll know whether it's good or not. Right. Yeah. And, and it's and, and there's some truth to that. It's like yeah. when you so I think there's some skepticism to data. And also, I think right now we're living in such a. Yeah you know, divided time where people, where facts seem so fungible and, yep. and people just say things and, and it's like, so we become, you know, skeptical yeah, because everybody I, is manipulating data to just prove their I point. I agree. And I think data is somewhat slowing us down and not speeding us up. I think right. we keep thinking, oh, if I just get the right data, I'll make perfect decisions every time. And right. Data is imperfect. I mean, even my own exec team meeting, like we used to be able to talk and come to consensus and be like, okay, let's all head this direction. And then someone will inevitably say, do you think we can get data to support this decision? Right. Yeah. And it's just like, do I 
really need data for the, you know? And right. so I think it's just kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of slowed us down. And right. um, yeah, we'll never be able to make a perfect decision because data is only as accurate as it is the very second it was generated. Two seconds later, the data is not accurate anymore because right. it's collected over it's time. Because it's the past, right. Exactly. Because it's the past. So I, 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 first of all, I think the book is a beautiful book. Like it's, it's okay. presented really beautifully. Like as I was reading it, so again, I read a lot of books and there's a lot of books I could just read through and get the mm -hmm. idea of. And and here with data story, I could I could do that. And I also felt like and I I'm kind of curious I want to check this with you cuz Emily asked me should I get the book and I said absolutely you should get the book it'll be really great for you. And I said the best way to use it is to already have data that you're looking at and already have like in your mind, okay, I'm going to have to have a conversation about this or present it or et cetera, and use it as a tool to creating the presentation as opposed to just reading it through to gain information about how to tell data stories. That was my experience, but I'm wondering if that's off or if you want people reading it in a different way and if you have some insight around that. Well, there's there's two, there's a few ways it's being read. So almost all my books are like that. So one mm -hmm. of the reasons I make them a little larger and square is so they can sit open on a desk. So right. it really is so that, oh my gosh, I have a talk coming up. I'm going to grab this book off the shelf and prepare for it. So I do think reading it through is an option. What we're finding is that users of data are buying it, but, but leaders of companies are buying it for their teams because the leaders in the companies are having a struggle with data because it's not being teed up to them in mm -hmm. a way that they process data. And so they're buying it. So their team starts to communicate the way it's instructed in the book. So it's both. Um, and then after people go through the book, then they'll use it situationally and go to that page or to that section. Um, so yeah, almost all my books are always used as reference books too, after they read through them. So again, so one more thing. So I was thinking about this data uh, question and presenting data. And I was thinking about my business. I was thinking about your business. You know, I, I, so my business, I don't know how much you know about my business, but I, I'm, I'm an executive coach and, and I work on either large scale coaching projects or with senior level people in large companies. And if someone says, what is the impact you've made or what are the outcomes that you've achieved? There's like a lot of different ways to do it, but it's very hard for me to have a data driven conversation about behavioral shifts. I mean, I could say, look, I worked with, this is a true, this is true. I worked with the CEO. We worked for six years. Revenues were 250 million. We brought it up to a billion. Stock price went from, you know, $17 to $107 and 50 cents. Uh, and he would say our work together had a lot to do with it. But there's a lot of variables that go into moving from one thing to another. And I'm curious as whether you use data in your own work uh, in terms of saying, like, here's why you should invest money in, in, in invest time mm -hmm. in creating stronger presentations. And you make the case in the book itself, uh, though it's not a data-driven case per se. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm curious about that. I know, you know, the, the largest skills gap in the country is soft skills, which you're talking, you know, leadership, communication, written right. and oral communication. So there was data that was done by Jeff Weiner, the CEO of LinkedIn, mm -hmm. where they, you have all the resumes and they have all the openings and they cross compared them and by a mile, like millions of, I mean, millions of um, uh, gaps in the resume were around communication and soft skills. Right. But our firm is like spoken word experts, kind of like you. It's like, well, I coached you twice a month and you change your behavior, but how do you measure it? And so when you, when you're spoken word experts, it's not like I can track eyeballs and clicks and calls to action and stuff like that, but we track things like 
one of our clients became voted the number one CEO in the world or became the number one most liked CEO on Glassdoor. And a lot of them come back to us and say, hey, that happened because you taught us how to tell story or that right. happened, you know, kind of like you where right. then we have other things where one guy was like, I made 780 more million dollars and it was in like New York Times because of Dorte's methodology or whatever. Right. And those are always great too, but it's really hard. Right. So we're building things like you know, apps that rate. Now on my training side, it's easier because you can ask the learners, like all my facilitators have to make 4.8 or above and are, you know, and then the referral rate is 9.9 out of 10. And it's like, that's measurable, but really, um, is change measurable and is little tiny habits changing measurable. And if I crack the code on that, cause we are trying to, I will let you know, but it's hard to measure. It's an immeasurable, but it's some of the most valuable things we have, like our culture, it's immeasurable. And sometimes like a spoken word that sets someone free, it's immeasurable. How do you measure that? Right. Right. And it's a good question. Yeah. And, and, but, and, and it actually, you know, as you're speaking, it's also making me think this is totally an offline conversation that we'll have when we're not on the podcast, but it would be interesting to think about a bunch of us getting together and going, Hey, there are these, like, first of all, how do we think about this stuff? And then Mm -hmm. second of all, there's like, if what we're going for is, you know, helping this CEO move from A to B or to, you know, or, or the organization that, and soft skills are the big gap, then actually this is good to talk about on the podcast for a second, because I think people should be doing this, getting together with different talents, like saying, okay, let's you and I, and a couple of other people with go and actually you know, not not really like queer eye someone from a from a personality perspective, but kind I of love that. like kind of like maybe we maybe this is going to be the genesis of a TV show that you and I start. We bring in yeah. another couple of people, yeah. and it's and it's, it's like, like makeovers. Said, uh, yeah, the it's prophet. Like exec- yeah, it's executive makeovers restaurants yeah. from these different areas. And instead of like shaving and clothing, we're looking at you know like how the the spoken word and the presentation yeah. and and the derailers leadership. and. Yeah. And things like that. It could That's be funny. That's awesome. I would do that in a split second. Uh, we should, so let's definitely have that conversation. Like, you know, after this, we'll have this conversation. Curious just to know some of the challenges that you've faced as you help hard facts, data-driven people bring that to sort of communicating with the yeah. spoken and presented word. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a great uh, graphic in the book that I made where there's people, maybe that's like your friend Emily, who they're in the data, they're in the data, they're shaping it, they're or not shaping it, but they're um, finding the problems or the opportunities. There's some people in that mode that want to flip the charts to someone else. They just want to like flip it over and be like, above my pay grade, good luck. I hope you see what I saw. I saw a mess there, but I'm just going to flip the charts. They don't want to be the one who create a point of view. And it's the moment that you decide, you know what, I'm going to take a stance on this because I think we need to go and have a conversation with Jimmy Bob and sales because he's screwing it up and no one's getting their bonus this year. Like whatever, right? There's this moment where you take a point of view on the data and that's a career threshold that a lot of people don't want to cross because then they have to take a stance on the data and decide what action needs to take because of this data. Data is historical, but if we take action today, it could change Jimmy Bob's number in the future. So you're constantly thinking about that's historical data. What can I do today to change the trajectory of that data in the future? That's a communications problem. So you can go from an individual contributor and an analyst of the data to a trusted advisor because your point of view on the data, you kill it every time. You're just killing it, killing it. I have a point of view. I'm killing it. Next thing you know, they're going to ask you to get up in front of the all hands meeting and inspire others with the data that you have. So it's like a 
career trajectory to go from an individual contributor to a trusted advisor and then eventually to a leader because your advice and your counsel around the data has been so strong and so true. Right. So that's great. And just to be clear, because I know Emily will be listening to this podcast, and that, <laughs> that she is definitely the trusted advisor, meaning she's very, very sort of smart and insightful about she what just doesn't the, want to get on a stage. She doesn't want to right? get on the stage. Exactly. Like yeah. she's she. But I love that you've you've sort of set this track because like she's there. She's there as the trusted advisor, but not necessarily someone that wants to dazzle the audiences. Um, well, there's you know. ways to dazzle like through email, through like recorded conversation. Through, I mean, there's just so right. many ways that she. I'm Emily. I'm sure you're dazzling. <laughs> she is. It's true. She is. <laughs> and can dazzle. All right, it's so good. Okay, we're we're gonna wrap up, but I'm just curious if there's like anything I haven't asked that you think would be important to share, uh, or that you want to share, uh, that's you know either related to or we totally missed the conversation. No, I would love, yeah, I think I would love to share because I think some people that are really analytical by nature might be freaked out by the word story. Mm -hmm. um, and when I say the word story, it's not fiction or fairy tales or wives tales. It's it's literally the construct of a story that you could use to shape your data. Um, we can hook up fMRI machines to the human brain now and see what's going on when a story is being told. And it is the most powerful communication device, the sensing parts of the brain's firing. While I'm telling a story, your brain is firing at the exact same time. So our brains synchronize. It's just beautiful, the sensing parts of the brain. It, it also suspends the analytical, like the critical mind. Right. It's just powerful. And so what the book is really about is it's not about lying or, or fiction. It's about using this very powerful device that our brain is very familiar with and just shaping the narrative around the data into a three-act structure. So I just thought that might help anybody who's freaking out that I'm asking him to, you know, tell lies or fiction with um, data because that's not what it's really about at all. Well, and also, I, you know, I, I've studied writing a bunch and I think you bring the essence of writing, you know, this three-act structure and, you know, there's like a, a, you know, setting the stage and then conflict and resolution. Like, I think you do it in a very, very simple and very, very clear way in the book. And so it, it's very accessible to say, how do I tell a good story? That's cool. Nancy, thank you so much. The, the book is called Data Story, Explain Data and Inspire Action Through Story. Nancy Duarte is who we have been speaking with. Thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and thanks to Claire Marshall for producing this episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.